Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. Last May, the murder of George Floyd tipped off a wave of national protests that re-energized the criminal justice reform movement and launched the defund the police slogan right to the center of the national conversation. But now, a year and a half later, amid a wave of worsening violent crime, Bay Area leaders are beginning to strike a different tone. It's time that the reign of criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. This proposal will go a long ways towards sending a message that we are absolutely serious about enforcement. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and we just heard there from San Francisco Mayor London Breed and Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, both of whom have come out in recent weeks to call for additional police resources to bolster public safety. This marks a major shift for the Bay Area, which, like many other regions in the country, has seen a host of reform measures begin to take shape over the past year and a half. Everything from the introduction of non-police responses to certain 911 calls to increased oversight of police departments. Today on the program, we're going to dig into the Bay Area's crime trends to try to find out what's driving them and what it could all mean for the future of reform. So a bit later on in the program, we'll be hearing more about how the reform debate is shaping up in Oakland uh, from two prominent local figures. First up, though, to help us get a handle on what's really changing in the Bay Area uh, crime, We're going to welcome on now Dr. Jonathan Simon. He is a UC Berkeley School of Law professor who studies crime and the criminal justice system. Dr. Jonathan Simon, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you for having me. So there certainly has been a lot of crime news recently here in the Bay Area. Uh, Obviously, we've seen a wave of high-profile retail thefts, terrorizing shopping centers throughout the region. Uh, And then zooming out uh, a bit further in time, we've also seen a rise in violent crimes and homicides uh, with the tragic milestone reported this past week in Oakland of the 131st homicide of the year, uh, meaning that we've reached the highest number of killings uh, for any year of uh, the past decade. So uh, Professor Simon, uh, certainly uh, crime is high on the minds of many Bay Area residents. What would you want to add to our picture of how these trends are shaping up? Thank you. And let me begin with some humility, because when we talk about statistics, first of all, we have imperfect measures of what is happening on the ground that we call crime. Second, it, it doesn't really touch on the lived reality that people experience when they see or experience crime. So I just want to hold out for the, those people who are feeling the impact of crime when I talk about it from this very detached point of view. Hmm. But let me say, as we look at the Bay Area as a whole, and mind you, our statistics are 
looking backward, mostly at 2020, uh, only really homicide can we say much about 2021. And my big headline is this, there is no crime wave, despite what you may have been hearing. Hmm. First of all, 2018, 2019 in the Bay Area were two of the lowest crime years in recent history. So the baseline was quite low. But overall, most crime categories, violent crime overall, property crime, are were down. And it, uh, the one, there are two outliers, homicide and auto theft. But let's talk about homicide because it should be on everyone's mind. It has the biggest impact on our human dignity and our valued lives. Homicide has spiked across the country in large cities. Here in the Bay Area, it has spiked in some parts, but not others. So Alameda County, uh, if you look at trends between 2015 and 2019, and then compare it to 2020, what you see is that Alameda is up significantly. But for instance, Contra Costa and San Francisco are actually down or flat. So again, it's, it's difficult to generalize about this. You've heard a lot about retail theft. We have no good statistics on that. What we do have comes from sort of surveys of retail managers that are very inaccurate from the criminological perspective. Um, so why have you been you know, thinking that there's so much of it? Partly is what psychologists call the availability heuristic. The more you hear about something, the more you're aware of it. Yeah. And then there's also the fact that when we talk about something like homicide, something that's horrific and life shattering as a homicide, uh, or when we talk about something like a car break in, these are crimes that really do touch people's lives uh, quite directly, as opposed to maybe um, some type of vandalism that happens far away from your home. They absolutely do. And, you know, things are crimes that we list them in our penal code because they send ripples across our sense of moral well-being as a community. And so I understand why people feel both outrage and fear and, and a sense of really uh, being, being morally a, a, a at risk as a community because of what they're hearing about. But when you look overall, and that's what we need to look at, I think when we try to talk about criminal justice policy, uh, what we see is a very abrupt change in a couple of categories. And I think the fingerprints on that change are the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, there have been a number of theories uh, put forward as to why we are seeing this e increase in certain violent crimes in some places, as you said. And uh, we're going to get into this more a little bit later on in the program. But uh, I guess uh, maybe you could get the conversation started on that front. Why uh, is it thought that more uh, homicides are being committed? And again, when you look at these trends, the only thing that really fits the picture of these spikes is the pandemic, uh, which really began to take hold and to have effects on crime as people started to go back outside in the spring and summer of 2020 and has continued. One is the direct impact. And we just cannot overstate the impact this social crisis has had on all of us, but especially our younger people, poor people, people generally with less support around them or more needs. Uh, this is historic. I have never seen anything like this in my lifetime, and I'm 62 now. I don't think anyone has in this country. So the, the direct impact on people. And notice things are up that are beyond crime but are similar. Drug use, alcohol overuse, accidents, freakish accidents causing deaths on the highway. All of this is signs of stress on the individual. Secondly, Crime isn't just about individuals, it's about families, networks, communities. Think of all the people who play a role in keeping the lives of people who might commit a crime more stable, their caretakers, their elders, 
who have suffered enormously during this pandemic and sometimes died and are just absent now. We've had huge losses in our community. So I think, and then you, you deal with the fact that we have deep structural deficits in the communities that are being hardest hit, especially by homicide, uh, that the pandemic has only exposed and worsened. And you get a sense that uh, this is a, a multi-front crisis that's been mostly sparked by the pandemic. All right. Uh, so a bit of a broader perspective uh, that we were getting right there once again from Dr. Jonathan Simon, a UC Berkeley School of Law professor. We're, as I mentioned, we're going to zero in now on the situation in Oakland in particular, which uh, itself has seen some of the strongest calls for criminal justice reform over the past year and a half, including uh, a push launched last summer to reimagine policing in the city. Uh, that was to include a dramatic cut in the police budget and then reinvestment in a number of social services. But earlier this month, the city council changed course, voting instead to hire more officers. It's a move that's angered many reform advocates, obviously. So we're going to hear now from both sides of the debate. First, welcoming on uh, someone who's been among the strongest voices for criminal justice reform in Oakland and really the Bay Area as a whole. Uh, that would be Kat Brooks. She's the co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project and also the executive director of the Justice Teams Network. Uh, Kat Brooks, welcome back on to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you for having me back. Happy to be here. Next, we're also going to welcome on Oakland City Council member Lauren Taylor, who represents portions of East Oakland. Welcome to the program to you as well, Council member Lauren Taylor. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Council member, I want to start with you, uh, because while you have said that you agree that investments in social services that you know help prevent crime should get more support, you oppose taking funding away from policing to get there. So tell us a little bit about your concerns uh, and what your constituents are currently confronting at the moment uh, when it comes to crime. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So, uh, first of all, I absolutely agree that all Oaklanders deserve to feel safe in their neighborhoods, regardless of the neighborhood they're from, uh, whether at work, home, school, or somewhere in between. And the vast majority of Oaklanders do want to maintain the current level of policing or increase it as we are seeking to reimagine what public safety could and should be in our city. So uh, my residents come to me and they fully agree we need to transform our system. We need to make it more efficient. We need to use uh, less uh, punitive approaches to addressing public safety and crime. And as we get there, they are concerned, though, that they will be left without a safety net, without the supports that they need, especially in the situation of the rising crime. And so um, I, out of, I absolutely want to respect what uh, Dr. Simon was uh, sharing, although that broader level uh, needs to be put in perspective when we talk about Oakland. And unfortunately in Oakland, we have seen significant increases in crimes uh, across the board. So we're talking about a 26% uh, increase in assaults with a firearm. We're talking about the 40% uh, increase when we talk about um, other serious crimes, 20% for homicides. Um, and it's, it's important that we look at the specifics going on in Oakland when we look at statistics. And it is also important, and I'm glad that he uh, similarly acknowledged, for an individual who is a victim of a crime, this is personal statistics don't matter because they are that statistic of uh, one 100%. Yeah. Um, 
Go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah, we can expand on that in just a second, but I also want to bring in the perspective now of Cat uh, Brooks, uh, once again, the co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project. Uh, so uh, your response to what we just heard there and also your, your, your response to the broader calls that we've been hearing from uh, other Bay Area leaders to increase police staffing. Obviously, this is going against what you uh, have been pushing for for uh, many years now. It's not just going against what I've been pushing for. It goes against what the data actually says, um, according to many, many reports. There is no definitive correlation between more police and less crime. What is also true is that police respond to crime. They do not interrupt it. Right. And so um, part of why you're hearing more about this is because there's been a strategic communication strategy, a disinformation campaign um, to a blame defund for the crime spike we've seen in the city of Oakland. Even the law enforcement has not been defunded. Actually, OPD received a $38 million increase. And so I ask, what is the magic number? They receive almost half of the general fund. So now we're talking about $388 million, right? Um, APTP recently released a report um, that exposed the manufactured staffing crisis and also using OPD's data and the data from the budget committee from the Reimagining Public Safety Task Task force that demonstrated that if we redirect OPD resources from doing things like towing cars or responding to stray dogs, it could free up 62 police officers to focus on violent crime. Yet there is resistance from folks that sit on city council and from the Oakland Police Department to do so, right? Because they're more concerned about their budget than they are um, about public safety. We told city council um, that this was going to happen. When we saw the pandemic coming, we knew a community Ready Corps, APTP, and a coalition of doctors, of uh, psychologists, of social workers told city council that this is going to exacerbate the pre-existing social conditions. It's going to force more people into the underground economy as they lose um, health, housing, jobs, and, and humans, right? People that they love. And when people are pushed into the underground economy as a way to keep a roof over their head, crime spikes. City council, and we brought them the Black New Deal. And um, it's sad to say, but it was a coalition, right, of, of folks of color that sit on that bench that, that told us to sit down and shut up. And, and what we've seen is exactly what we said was coming. Hmm. Logic here. If it is the exacerbation of pre-existing social conditions like poverty, like mental health, like trauma, that is causing the, the, the spike in crime, which even, the, even though right, we, we don't have enough data, there hasn't been enough time for researchers to dig in, that's uh, the general consensus, right? If that is what is causing crime, why would we not invest in addressing those things? You cannot police your way out of poverty. You cannot police your way out of mental health crisis, right? You have to invest the resources and you have to do it now, while at the same time redirecting uh, police resources away from things that don't require a badge and a gun and let them address the actual crime spec. I live in the actual flats. I live across the street from one of the largest um, uh, housing projects in the city. So that means I live across the street from one of the highest um, crime rates in the city. I'm dealing with this every single day. I am experiencing the pain and trauma. I am talking to my neighbors. We want resources that are going to address it now. Um, but what instead we're seeing political games used to smash, destroy the defund movement, which wasn't ever about taking money away from law enforcement and leaving the department destitute. It has always been about investing in things that actually keep us safe. Housing, education, employment, mental health. That's what people way smarter than me say and have been saying for years.
basketball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're discussing the Bay Area's crime numbers, some of which, as we've discussed, are on the rise and what they could mean for the push to reform policing and the criminal justice system. Joining us for that conversation, we heard a little bit earlier from Dr. Jonathan Simon, a UC Berkeley School of Law professor who studies crime in the criminal justice system. Also just heard a moment ago from Kat Brooks, co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project in Oakland. And we've been hearing as well from Oakland City Councilmember Lauren Taylor, who uh, we should mention is running for mayor currently. Uh, so, uh, Councilmember Lauren Taylor, bringing you back into the conversation, want to hear your response to some of what we just heard from Kat Brooks, in, in particular, uh, this notion that we can't police our way out of this crime problem and that the most direct solution is not adding more police uh, to the streets, but is instead dealing with the the poverty and social problems that are, are really pushing many people to commit these crimes. Thanks for that. So as a third generation Oaklander, born and raised here deeply in community, receiving calls from my residents daily, uh, I want to clarify that uh, I do agree with Kat. We can't enforce our way out of this solution. It has to be a both and. We have to bring all of the resources to the table to help keep our neighbors safe. Clarifying that the conversation is not about whether we should or must reimagine and reconstruct a public safety system that's more equitable, community-centric, less reliant on punitive measures. Uh, it's not, and we're not questioning whether we should be investing in the root causes that create the more sustained safety. Really, the debate today is about how we get there. We're talking about implementation and uh, institutional change management. And when someone is living in a house where the roof needs to be replaced, we don't tear down that roof in the middle of the rainy season and simply tell them, well, you're gonna love the roof when we get it back uh, in place, but we're not there yet and we'll let you know when we get closer. We've gotta be able to have the support systems in place and we have to be able to look at prevention, addressing root causes, the immediate response when people call 911 and want some support and some help, and we have to look at the investigations piece and make sure that we are holding the line and holding folks accountable when they come and they prey on Oaklanders. I want to give uh, Kat Brooks a chance to respond to that in just a second. But I want to actually circle back to uh, Dr. Jonathan Simon again with UC Berkeley uh, real quick and just get your perspective on what, uh, you know, criminology has to tell us about the role of police officers and increased policing in uh, keeping the streets safe. Uh, what What is your perspective on that? Oakland currently has uh, fewer police officers than it has in the past. Is that uh, a situation that is correlated with having uh, increased crime? So the, the, we have to distinguish two things. One question is, if we had no criminal justice system tomorrow and had no alternative to it, would crime go up or go up seriously? And I think criminologists think it would. The second question is, can, can you adjust, can you kind of reduce current trends in crime by increasing police? 
And here there's much less consensus. There is some data that overall more police equals less crime, but it doesn't focus on particular things like homicide. And it never has really identified substantially what the mechanisms are that would uh, do that. So I don't think we can, and, and bear in mind that increasing police forces is something that happens over time. And I actually have a question for, for both of our real experts here. How many police do you think Oakland's gonna be able to actually hire? I think policing is a demoralized profession right now and it's not because of the protesters, it's because it's really in many ways a, a failing paradigm that has been long in need of reinventing. An interesting question right there. Uh, yeah, uh, briefly, I'll turn that over to uh, Lauren Taylor. I mean, are, are, are we, um, to some extent, having a, 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 a theoretical argument right now, just given the uh, difficulty that there is with rehiring? How successful could a rehiring push really be at the moment? Right. We, we are not going to increase uh, police ranks dramatically overnight. And so we do have to look at all, uh, other alternatives as well. And I, I agree the uh, historical lens, uh, the historical framework for policing is something that we must reimagine and we must uh, reconstruct in a way that we are still having resources in place to support our residents when they call for help, to help us hold the line when uh, there are uh, acts where we're putting Oaklanders in harm's way and compromising you know, life and safety here in the city. There has to be a, uh, uh, I will say, a line that we hold, whether that's, uh, that, that isn't our historical policing. And in Oakland, we have been, uh, I will say, working towards something that's much more accountable with the strongest, uh, more, more powerful police commission, citizen police commission in the country. We've been uh, working on a number of these issues and really setting, trying to set the bar for what uh, community-centric police uh, department should be in the city. Yes, we have further to go, but we do have to redesign and reimagine in a way that we can recruit uh, more Oaklanders to come and uh, serve in these roles that help to keep our community safe. And Kat Brooks, again, with the Anti-Police Terror Project, what what do you make of uh, that point that we heard a little bit earlier from Lauren Taylor, that essentially the trajectory that we all want to get to is an improved uh, criminal justice system, a more just criminal justice system. But right now we are in the midst of, uh, uh, from the perspective of many folks that are facing these violent crimes, uh, a, a crisis. And uh, to be too hasty with removing some of uh, the protections that uh, uh, folks, you know, some folks see the police as being on the streets uh, would be uh, leaving people vulnerable. Yeah, I, a, f- a few things that I that I want to say, and and with all respect, with all due respect to Council uh, Member Taylor, his voting record says uh, w- demonstrates what he thinks about reimagining, what he thinks about investing in prevention. His behavior during the reimagining public safety task force tells us uh, what we need to know. Policing is not working. It was never designed to keep us safe. It was designed to protect the status quo, and that's what it continues to do. The frustration, what makes me bang my head into a wall, is that we have the data that says if we invest in all of the things that I said last time, housing, education, trauma support, et cetera, we will see safer streets. We talk about response times, right? You call 911, it takes five hours. Well, if they weren't towing cars, if they weren't chasing stray dogs in the street, if they weren't responding to things that don't require a badge and a gun, then they could respond to violent crime. That's just basic sense. That's not Kat's opinion. That's just fact. 
right? But yet there is resistance from that because that impacts police budgets. And that's what's being um, pr protected right now in, in, instead of the people. It's also important to understand that Oakland is not unique in, in the spike in, in, in violent crime because the entire country was rocked by this pandemic and by the economic pandemic that came hot on the heels of the virus. Also, the, the survey that the, the council member Taylor and, and, and some others like to, to quote that say Oaklanders want to maintain the same level of staffing. It also says that Oaklanders want to invest in other pathways um, to, to keep us safe. Oak, Oaklanders want trauma support. Oaklanders want cops to stop doing things that don't require a badge and a gun. But that's the piece of the conversation that conveniently continues to get left off. And then the final thing that I want to say is that we are literally repeating the 1990s. We are literally responding to the state's failure to take care of our communities in crisis with incarceration. In the 1990s, Black folks were begging for the crime bill. We were begging for three strikes laws, right? We were begging for, for tough on crime policies. And what we got was no safer communities and thousands of our people being funneled into prisons, which ultimately made our communities less safe because our families were, were ripped apart and whole, healthy, connected together families is one of the key things that communities need in order to be safe. All right, uh, Councilmember Taylor, a lot to respond to there. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Um, uh, so yes, unfortunately, we are not responding to the uh, car tows and the dogs and these, these things that are lifted up the low level. We're, my residents call me regularly and talk about how it takes two to three days to have any, someone respond to their 911 call if they get through it all. And so uh, the low hanging fruit are things that absolutely we need to be pushing off. That's why I have fully supported the macro program, our mobile alternative community responders of Oakland that should be up and running as a pilot in January. And that will ensure that we have more resources available to respond to these low level nonviolent crimes. Exactly what I think most of Oakland agrees need to happen. We need more of these non these civilian resources responding and supporting so that police can do the things that does require their experience, their capabilities and expertise, like uh, helping improve our homicide uh, clearance rate and our violent crime clearance rate. Currently, we are at a third of violent crimes being solved in the city. That is, uh, if someone's looking for a place to get away with committing a crime, it's better than a coin flip that they will not uh, be brought to justice with the current solve rate. We saw with an influx of uh, resources into our criminal investigations division in November that we were able to move the homicide clearance rate up to 44% uh, for the year. That is a direct uh, result of increasing the capacity and the resources that are there. That is something that our residents are calling for. Um, similarly, when we look at the ceasefire program and its effectiveness to reduce uh, gun violence uh, here in the city of Oakland in the years leading up to 2018, uh, and unfortunately we've seen a reversal of that trend, but we know that that works. Ceasefire is currently staffed at uh, 66%, so two thirds and uh, a third of the positions are vacant. We know that if we enhance the, uh, the, the, the capacity there, we expect to get similar results that we've seen previously. And so there are strategic places to invest in our police system, just as we are investing into these alternatives, these root causes, 
the, the housing, the food security, and other things that Ms. Brooks mentioned as well. All right. So on that note of investments and looking forward, I actually think that that's a good spot to uh, pour our attention into in for the uh, last couple of minutes that we have in the program. I want to give uh, final thoughts to uh, both Professor Simon and Kat Brooks. We'll start with you, uh, Professor John Simon, once again with the UC Berkeley School of Law. So in just a couple of minutes that we have left, what, in your view, should the future of criminal justice reform uh, look like? You, you know, we've, we've seen it take a particular course over the past year and a half. It seems like we might be reorienting at this particular moment. What are you hoping to see next? You know, I, if I could say anything to Bay Area and California voters, it would be stay the course on criminal justice reform and, and really intensify it. If you feel that it's not working, we need to work harder to reinvent how we do public safety. But let's not go back. I agree with Kat that I often feel like I'm watching a Batman movie in terms of the rhetoric. It sounds like the 80s and 90s when I was a young man. Uh, and we can't go back there. It failed. Um, crime tends to work itself out. And, you know, patients healing of those that are harmed uh, and uh, continuing with the reform effort. All right. And Kat Brooks, uh, closing thoughts from you. You know, uh, Rachel Swan of the San Francisco Chronicle did an amazing article on ceasefire that showed that over the last two years of the pandemic, the the stick part of ceasefire, i.e. arrest levels, have maintained the same levels and or increased what we lost was the social service programs, resources, human interactions that made ceasefire work. Oaklanders want to be safe. Oaklanders are scared. All of us are scared. We want solutions. But, but investing in something that has not worked, does not work, taking precious dollars that could be invested in prevention and investing them instead in, res in response, while at the same time criminalizing the poorest of our communities and flooding more police officers into our already occupied communities is not the answer. It's the only pathway we've been told to get to safety, but Oaklanders are being had. They're, 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 you're, we're being lied to and, and we should be angry. And, and there isn't, I mean, there's a reorienting uh, of political folks, right? Folks that are, are, are seeking for electing elections. The movement is not dead. Um, the movement continues. Reimagine, reinvest, restructure. That is the only way we're going to get to the communities and the Oakland that we all want to live in, where we all can thrive. All right. Some uh, really important perspectives there from uh, all of our guests today. Uh, we are going to have to round it out there uh, coming up on the end of our half hour. So uh, going to thank all of our guests right now. Uh, again, we have been hearing from Dr. Jonathan Simon, a UC Berkeley School of Law professor who studies crime and criminal justice. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Simon, thanks for being on KCBS In Depth. Thanks for having me. Also want to say thank you to Oakland City Council member Lauren Taylor. Uh, thanks to you as well. Thank you, Keith. And finally, thanks to Kat Brooks, the co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project in Oakland. Kat Brooks, thanks to you as well. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.